welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Sometimes we think about prayer as something that has to be overly complicated. Prayer really is nothing more than communicating with God. That's all it is. So before we ever get launched into this series about prayer, I'm going to say things for a couple of weeks. I want to acknowledge with you that no one knows the mystery of why some prayers are answered and some prayers are not. That is the deep and troubling question. And so I want to be really clear that we avoid the theological conundrum that says if we all just pray the right kind of way or a certain way or a numerical equivalent that would be sort of the God lottery, that it happens, right? The key thing of everything we talk about in this season of prayer is to keep in mind how often when we close prayers have you ever remembered saying in Jesus' name, right, or for Jesus' sake, In the Hebrew understanding, which was the bedrock of the Christian formation, when you invoked someone's name, you invoked everything of their presence. So prayer is the pouring out of your heart. We're going to look at that over the next several weeks. But remember that we have this incredible gift of grace that when we say, in the name of Christ, or thy will be done, and it's right there in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, whose will be done? Thy will be done. This is the way in which we invoke the full presence of God. So that as we lay the petitions of our heart out, we know that there is one who is greater than we are, a transcendent truth and reality that is at work in his will and way in the world. So friends, I want us to avoid the theological conundrum that if you just pray a certain way or give a certain way, it all lines up. God does not operate a divine lottery where if you give a certain amount or pray a certain way, cha-ching, it's all lucky sevens and you're good. That's not the way prayer works. Prayer, prayer is the exhaling of your spirit, the inhaling of God's spirit, the conversation that happens. And it's meant to be a dialogue. And we want to dive into some of the biblical understandings of prayer. So we're going to launch today in Mark chapter 9. If you're paying any attention, uh, we made allusions last week to Transfiguration Sunday last week. Transfiguration is, according to the Gospel of Mark's account, Jesus takes the disciples up around the area of Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. Some accounts are that the Transfiguration happens at Mount Hermon because they were further to the north. Other Gospels give it Mount Tabor. So there's different locations that people think this might have been. Don't get caught up in the location of the event, but the location of your heart. And then I want us to listen to the meta-narrative, the larger narrative that's happening as we come out of this glorious moment of transfiguration. We know exactly who Jesus is. Peter wants to build tabernacles and stay on the mountaintop experience. You ever had that? You've had that mountaintop experience? God, I just want to stay here. This is awesome. I just want to build three tabernacles for Elijah, for Moses, and for you. Can't we just stay on the mountaintop? And the reality is we can't. Because everything we need for life is not found on the mountaintop. Everything you need to survive, the nutrients and the nutrition and the hydration, is found in the valleys. Prayer sustains us through all of those as we seek God's face. So in respect to the gospel, I invite you to stand as you're able. The text today is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 27. 
And Jesus is just now coming down from the mountain. So this opening part of the text tells you that he was with James and John, but not all the disciples. So it opens up by saying, when they, which would be Jesus, James, and John, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all of the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, and can't you sort of see a man in the crowd yelling back, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. Now he's pushing further and closer. The crowd is separating. He foams at the mouth and gnashes with his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. See the skirmish, the busyness that's happening? Can you hear the crowd murmuring? And so they bring the boy to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now, see the father next to Jesus. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, It's often throwing him into the fire or water to kill him. But, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. <laughs> if, if you can, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and speak these words with me, church, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, Jesus said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And, and, and Jesus replies, this can come out only by prayer. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit of God stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart this place and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. First, I want to speak a very practical word about the Lenten journey that we're on together. On Mondays, we are going to have the sanctuary open for an hour across the lunch hour, 12 to 1. We're inviting you to collectively join in a time of fasting from the lunch hour on Mondays and come together as a church. Whether you're in church and present or whether you are going to be in some other location, just as a way of focusing. Remember, folks, that if you just fast to miss food, you just get hungry. There needs to be a purpose 
and an intention in the fast. So the purpose of the fast is to draw our hearts together to be more sensitive and aware and hear God's spirit moving and to pray on behalf of the people of Ukraine and all that is happening there. That has been a specific request of our bishops, especially our own Bishop Scott Jones. It's not the only thing you pray for. Those are on your heart. But it helps you direct the focus so as the rumblings happen and you get hungry, you think, oh, I want to grab something to eat. That's the familiar. I'm going to satisfy my hunger simply by getting food. And fasting seeks to say, I'm going to satisfy my soul with God's presence. Second thing in a very practical way to let you know is we have a Lenten prayer guide. Each week we're going to lift up for you and there will be at the welcome table outside the vine and outside the sanctuary a focus for you that has um, what we have for week one, a guide for the week that's a prayer, a a midweek prayer, and then we've also picked up one of the historical prayers of the faith. This next week is from St. Clement of Alexandria. So it's a great way for us to unite our hearts across the ages and with God. So what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. It's just simply talking to God. Many people don't engage in prayer because they say, well, I I don't know how to pray. You know how to talk? You know how to have a conversation? But the church has done a pathetic job of teaching people how to pray. We just assume that you come and you hear the sermon and the hymns and somehow by osmosis you will go out and you will know how to pray. On the one hand, it's a very simple concept. It's your conversation and pouring out your life before God. On the other hand, it would be good to speak in a concrete way or specific way into what is prayer. Historically, there's a very simple acronym called ACTS. A-C-T-S. If you don't know where else to begin, you use ACTS, A-C-T-S. You begin with adoration. Oh, God of the world, right? Oh, God of love or God of grace. It's a way of adoring God. It's your adoration of your prayer. And then you have a moment of confession. Confession is the way you acknowledge who you are. You've heard that saying, right? There is a God and you're not him, right? It's a way of confessing. God, I've just gotten busy this week, God. You know, I, I've, I've failed to attend to the scriptures or, or God, I, I knew I needed to do these things and I didn't. You confess the things that are an obstacle in your relationship with God. The T stands for thanksgiving. That's when you give your thanksgiving to God, right? God, I want to thank you for the blessings that we have. I want to thank you for this. Thanks to be to God. You adore God. You confess who you are in relationship to God. You give thanks to God. And the S stands for supplication, And that's where we pour our our hearts out to God. God, this is what I'm asking for. When we zoom back in the meta text, we, we see in this ninth chapter of Mark the amazing things that are happening in the transfiguration of Jesus. And he moves from this beautiful moment of clarity in the transfiguration and the adoration of who he is to a moment of absolute confusion. Jesus comes down off the mountain, and he comes in, and he breaks into a moment of conflict. It's important when we look at the meta-narrative, I would encourage you to know, most often in Scripture, we need to read before and after to find out what's flowing in the narrative, because if we only pull out one little verse, we can tilt the scales in a pretty unhealthy way. For example, if you just pull us out and say, well, Don, the reason that happened is because you just don't believe enough. Right? Can't tell you how many people in 36 years of ministry 
feel the total responsibility of what's happening. He said, I haven't believed enough. That, that's just not true. So what's happening? Look at what's happening. You've got the father who is struggling, who's missed in conflict and has unbelief. He admits it. You've got the disciples who can't figure out what's going on. You've got the teachers of the law arguing with the disciples. All this chaos, it's like one of my wife's family reunions. It's just chaos, right? Look, you haven't met my wife's family, I'm telling you. They're loud. They're, I mean, they, they're loud. They talk about everything, right? There's all this going on, all this busyness, right? And Jesus just steps into the chaos and he says what? What are y'all arguing about? And then it unfolds. And what we're going to see here in this text is the contrast between what happens when we try to do things of our own effort and what happens when we bring things to the presence of Christ. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you, I have stood beside many a person with a terminal diagnosis, and there's been a prayer that the cancer would go completely away, that the diagnosis would be completely removed. Sometimes with the gifts of medicine and a miraculous touch, that happens, and there are times when it does not. And Christ is with us regardless. This text is not about you manipulating the divine presence of God to get what you want because you believe a certain amount. It's about the contrast between what cannot happen in human terms and what only happens when we make ourselves available to the divine presence of Christ, the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confessed, the one whom demons shriek when they very see his face. There's a big gap, and that gap exists because for you and me, we can't door dash discipleship. We can't curbside Christian formation. We can't Amazon Prime and order free of charge for some kind of prayer. We can't Instagram into inspiration, and we can't Facebook our way to faith. But what we can do is set aside the busyness of our lives to focus on the one who steps into any moment and is present with us. You see, this text is about the fact that Jesus is the one who makes the difference, not us. It is Christ who makes the difference. As you pray, remember this, lastly, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. If all you do is pray and list out the things that you want God to do, you're not praying, you're telling. Prayer involves giving the supplication, the desire of your hurt to God. The word in the Hebrew and the Greek simply carries that. It's a, it's a plea to God. And then, friends, be quiet and listen. Listen to God's presence. Listen to God drawing near to you. Listen to the one who says, and I hope you noticed it, that when the father says, hey, hey, if you can heal him, would you do it? And what did Jesus say? If I can, if I can. We're loved by a God who doesn't exist on ifs. Our God is one who's a can-do kind of God who's always with us. And when we come to this holy meal, we come to celebrate God's holy presence. We come to acknowledge 
that every one of us in the confession, in the words, have drifted. We come to celebrate God's faithfulness in the liturgy of the great thanksgiving. And so I'm going to invite you as we launch into this season and journey of Lent to join with Stacy and with me as we let the liturgy guide our hearts into the heart of God. Christ our Lord invites to this table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and with one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.